Let's pray. And uh, man, let's, let's dig in. God, we thank you for your word and we praise you, God, that you are so good to us. God, that you are willing, Father, to meet us here, God. Lord, to speak into our lives, Father, through your living word, God, that doesn't ever return void, Father. We are so thankful, God, that you bothered to speak to us to begin with, Lord. And Father, even more than that, Lord, you want to be in a relationship with us. You want us to get to know you more, Lord. And as we do that, Lord, you're never shy, Lord. You're never uh, hiding yourself, God. You want to be known. And so, Lord, we thank you, Father, that we have the opportunity to come to you today, to your word, God, to hear from you. And thank you, Father, for the worship that we just had, Lord, that we were able to press into you, God. And Lord, there's just so much here, Lord God, that we want to glean and grow and learn from, Lord. And so help us, Lord. Open up our spiritual eyes. Open up our ears, Lord God, spiritually, Father. Lord, I pray for everyone here, for everyone watching online, Lord, and anyone that's going to listen to this later, Lord, that this would never be just an academic study. But Lord, that it would sink deeper than our brains and, and sink deep into our hearts, Lord God. Lord, that it would bring about change in our lives, Father. That's what we're aiming for. That's what we're asking you for, Father. So God, have your way, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys... Like I said, today we're going to be looking at the second of three different challenges that the religious leaders brought to Jesus. And as we look at each one of these, we got to keep in mind, you guys, they weren't asking these questions expecting a real answer, right? We looked at that with the Pharisees, right? They asked these questions that they didn't want an answer to. They were looking to just trip him up. But more importantly, I would say to bring people and get them against Jesus. Why? Because Jesus showed up like a boss, like I said last week, why? Because he was the boss and he was like telling them what's up. Like, look, man, you're not gonna turn my house into a den of thieves. You're not gonna do these things. And oh, by the way, while I've cleaned out the area, I'm gonna bring people in and heal them. Something you can't seem to do. And so he was showing up and showing himself for who he really was. And so today, round two, the Sadducees are up. They were up next to challenge Jesus. They wanted to challenge him on this idea of the resurrection. And this is something that they didn't even believe in. Did you guys know that? Flip over with me to Acts 23. Keep your finger there in Matthew chapter 22 and flip over with me a few books, four books to be exact, to the right. Acts 23 verse 8 says this. This is just to give you a little backdrop. Paul here, he's before the Sanhedrin. This is right after he was struck based on what the high priest wanted him to do. And he was like, oh, I got mad at him because he couldn't see very well, right? And so he like called out and he's like, oh, and got mad at the high priest. And then they were like, do you know you just reviled? And he was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize that, right? It was right after that. But then he realizes, wait a minute, this is a Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was mostly made up of Sadducees and some Pharisees. So he knew there was like this division there. There was this argument. And so he says this, verse eight, it says, for the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection and no angel or spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. And so he was saying, Paul, in this passage, you guys can flip back over with me to Acts 22. He was saying this idea there of like, wait a minute, the thing that you're arguing about is whether Jesus rose from the dead. Like that's the, our argument about this idea of resurrection. 
And so he basically was like this in the middle of the Sanhedrin. He dropped the little grenade and was like, okay, bye. <laughs> and they were like, rah, they just attacked each other. And if, guess what? If your enemies are attacking each other, they're not attacking you. You're winning, right? <laughs> That's kind of what Paul was doing. But I'm, I'm pointing out there because we need to have this backdrop. We need to understand that, again, if the Sadducees were asking Jesus about the resurrection, did they really want an answer? No, because they thought they had the answer. And the answer was there was no resurrection in their mind. That was what they thought. And so do you understand how here they are coming and, and asking a question, just like the Pharisees, not looking for an answer, but really just wanting to prove how smart they were to God and flesh, which, by the way, is the stupidest thing you could ever do in your life is to argue with God and flesh, because that's an argument you're sure to lose, <laughs> right? Like you're going to lose. The better way to come to God is to say, Lord, teach me. Lord, show me. Lord, help me to realize and understand. And so, man, the arrogance in these people is, is astounding. And yet, dare I say, can't we be just as arrogant at times? Amen. Like I said, it's, it's easy to read God's word and be like, oh, those dumb Sadducees, those crazy legalistic Pharisees, those silly Israelites in the Old Testament, like, ah, who would do such a thing? And God's like, you do. And you're like, oh, right? Man, it's better to come to God's word and be like, Lord, show me if there be anything in me that's like this, right? That to me is a healthy way always to come to God's word. And so let's do that today. Verse 23 in chapter 22 says this. The same day the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to him and asked him saying, teacher, Moses said that if a man dies... Having no children, his brothers shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were with us seven brothers. The first died after he had married and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. Likewise, the second also and the third, even to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife of the seven Will she be? For they all had her. Doesn't that sound like one of those word math problems that you get in school, right? Like there's a train going this way with 16 passengers and there's a train going this fast with 25 passengers. And then you're like, and um, how many wheels did the train have on it? <laughs> what? <laughs> right? Am I the only one that hates word problems? You guys, here they are. We've already established that the Sadducees don't even believe any part of the question that they asked. And they asked this question to entirely trap in their mind, trap and discredit Jesus. And there was no other reason behind it. And I want us to understand, first off, who are the Sadducees? Do you guys know? The Sadducees get a lot of, well, they don't get as much press as the Pharisees, right? We learn a lot more about the Pharisees. Why? Pharisees were a much bigger group, right? It's kind of like the argument between uh, Apple and Microsoft, right? Like, let's go there. You guys know what I'm talking about? Every, if you're an Apple fan, you're like, oh, Apple's the best ever, right? And then Microsoft is pretty much like milk toast, right? Like Microsoft is like the thing. Why is Microsoft the milk toast? Because it's so much bigger. They like go to any business for the most part and they're running a Microsoft system, right? A PC. Apple's so much tinier. That's kind of like the Pharisees versus the Sadducees. The Sadducees were the ones that were more learned, typically. 
They were more educated. They were more wealthy. They were the ones that were actually in charge of the temple area, right? The Pharisees were usually the ones that were more out in the um, community doing like the things in the synagogues and stuff like that. That was their realm. Do you get what I'm saying? So there's a lot more synagogues than there is one temple. Does that make sense? So it's kind of the principle. The Sadducees were like Apple. They were a niche market, but they were really popular in that market. And they were huge in that respect. But as far as size goes, they were much tinier. Was that a bad analogy, you guys? Am I a computer nerd? <laughs> you guys, this idea of the Sadducees is, is that, man, they, they, they were more learned. They were more wealthy. They had all of this stuff here at the temple. That was their gig. That was their thing. And yet... They were, honestly, even though they had wealth, even though they had the position, they made up the majority of the Sanhedrin. The truth is, is they weren't very well liked. Do you know why? Like the Herodians, they kind of looked at it and said, well, this is our lot in life. This is where we are. The Romans have come in and taken us over. So we support that. Why? Because they didn't want to lose their wealth. And so they were using their position and all of that as collateral to try to maintain their wealth with the Roman population, with the Roman rulers. So of course, to the common man, they didn't like it. They liked the Pharisees because the Pharisees were like, against the man, (laughs) right? But the Pharisees were super legalistic and had their own issues. And so here we see these Sanhedrin, or I'm sorry, the Sadducees coming. And here's some other realities. We have all these books in the Old Testament, right? The Old Testament is bigger than the New Testament. Did you guys know that? It's a bigger chunk of the Bible. The Old Testament has this huge amount of wealth of knowledge and prophets and all these things. Well, you guys, they only believed in the first five books, the Torah, the books of the law. That's why if you notice the the Sadducees very, very, in verse 24, it says saying, teacher, Moses said, why did they say that? Well, Moses is the one that wrote the first five books. And so in their estimation, Moses wrote their Bible, their, what they considered scripture. Everything else past that point to them, they didn't, they didn't believe. Do you get how they got to a place where they didn't believe in the resurrection? If you just read the law, if you looked at Leviticus and you're like, this is the entirety of Christianity, you'd be like, wow. Right? If you read the history you find in Genesis and Exodus, there's a lot to glean there. I'm not acting like these books aren't worthwhile. Of course they are. Right? Of course they are. But they're, they're the beginning threads of the entire story of the Bible, right? right? And so you guys, here they are. They didn't see any truth or value of all that God had spoken to the people of Israel through the remaining 34 books. There are 39 books in the Old Testament. In the times of Jesus, you got to remember, it had been over 400 years since Malachi had written his book. You guys, they had the entire canon of Old Testament scripture. It was, it was established, like people got it. They knew like, man, this is the chunk that, that is the accepted works, right? Like these are the things that God breathed out and wrote to us. And so here they had all this and the San, or I'm sorry, I keep saying Sanhedrin, the Sadducees, they're like, nope, that's not true. We're only going to look at the first five. How much did they miss out on? So they come with this question, this ridiculous, impossible situation. One woman who by the end of her life had been legally married to seven brothers in order to produce offspring. This is something that God had established way, way, way back 
Why? Well, think about it. This was a very patriarchal culture. The man was in charge of the home, right? Women, don't beat me up. That was the way it was historically, whatever, right? Like I'm not trying to say it was absolutely right how they went about things, but God did this as a protection to women because he said, look, if this is how things are, then the woman, if the husband dies, needs some heir, needs some male heir, hopefully, to come alongside and help, you know, till the ground and make the crops and to help with the family stuff and to be able to be there and be a protection for her. And so God actually, it's a, it's a grace that God poured out that he said, look, like you're going to be legally married to the next brother in line so that they can give you an heir, right? That you can get pregnant from that and have an heir. And that was the way it was set up. And so they're saying, well, look, he had seven brothers and in all of them, nobody was able to give her an heir. Nobody was able to produce any offspring with her. And so this poor proverbial woman right? Because it's just a made-up story. This poor proverbial woman then finally dies at the end of her life, having been handed around to seven different men trying to make another boy, basically. I mean, what a life. Poor girl. She dies herself. That was probably the best thing to happen, right? She, <laughs> she just, does that mean? I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know. I just think it's weird. If I were a woman, I, I wouldn't want to be like, I married your brother because he was handsome. You? Right? Then you get down to like number four and you're like, come on, for real? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I don't know. Maybe I'm just adding too much of my own thoughts into this. Forgive me, Lord. But their question was this. Had nothing to do with all of that. Here was her question. Who's she going to be married to in heaven? That was her question. Who is she going to be you know, hitched up with in heaven? So let's continue to read to see what God answers, what Jesus says in response to this outrageous hypothetical situation. Jesus answers and said to them, you are mistaken. Another way to uh, translate that word in the Greek is deceived. You were deceived, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. For, the reg- for in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. You guys, Jesus answered them by pointing out their error from the very start. The reason that they don't understand that they're mistaken, you guys, is because they don't know the scriptures to begin with, number one. And the second thing, they don't know the power of God. The Sadducees didn't accept 34 of the 39 books of the Old Testament. God had spoken through the prophets, right? We're going through Ezekiel right now. How powerful do you see God When he's pronouncing, hey guys, repent and turn because this is coming. And to the point that Ezekiel lived through to the point of like five-year period where he gets to a point where he's like, not only has it been coming all this time, but it's here. Like we're walking it out right now. What about Isaiah? Had they understood Isaiah, maybe they would have gotten, I mean, clearly the Pharisees read Isaiah and they still didn't get it either. So I'm not acting like that was the answer entirely because there's a heart change that has to happen, right? But the reality is, is they missed out on so much of the power of God because they weren't willing to look at the prophets or King David in the Psalms, King Solomon with the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes where they would tell him like, look, all your wealth and all that, it's just, it's nothing new under the sun. All of it's garbage. It's not going to get you anywhere. There's so much that we glean from the Old Testament that they entirely missed out on. What about all the historical writings, you guys? Do you think they might have looked and said, man, like, Dude, 
King David did pretty good. He messed up here and there. King Solomon did pretty good, but he made some mistakes. And after that, it was pretty much a train wreck with occasional ups, <laughs> right? Hezekiah, Josiah, there was a couple good kings, but overall it was an absolute train wreck. Do you think they could have learned from that? Can we learn from that? Heck yes, right? What about this, the split of the kingdom? What about the exiles? Both of them, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, both going into exile, Assyria and Babylon. And what could they have learned from that? How could they have looked at this Roman occupation and said, Lord, what are you trying to do here? What's happening here, Lord? Can we, can we glean from the old things of the past and say, God, what was your heart there? Because I'll tell you what his heart there was. Repent. Stop going the direction you're going and turn. And they didn't, they didn't see any of that. All the way up through the book of Malachi. They, they missed out on all of that, you guys. How much of God's word did they choose to ignore? So it should almost go without saying that Jesus would look at these Sadducees and say, you do not know the scriptures. You don't. You guys, I got to say something. How common is this truth in America? There's a lot of Christians that don't know the scriptures. There's a lot of Christians that might be able to quote Psalm 23, right? They might have scriptures hanging on the wall. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, right? Joshua. They might have certain scriptures and they might be like, yeah, I got these. Yeah, hurrah, hurrah. The health and wealth gospels will, man, you'll hear certain ones. Listen, assemblies of God, I knew Corinthians 12 through 14 really well. And that's about it. I'm just being real. A lot of the American church doesn't just dig in and say, here's God's word, let's read it. A lot of Christians don't take the time to just pick a book and, and go through it day by day, do we? You guys, a lot of Christians don't know the scriptures today, even though, to be honest, in America, it's available in so many forms. You have it on your phone. Listen, you guys, if you come to my house, for people, for people that have been to our house, we have uh, all these bookshelves and there's like two whole shelves of nothing but Bibles that I've worn out from highlighting and writing in it. And you see what I'm saying? So like then when I wear it out, I just put it on the shelf and buy a new one and just do it again, right? I'm not saying that to brag. I'm just saying that's my habit. That's what I do, right? But there's a lot of people that have all those Bibles on the shelves and yet they don't really ever come down. They're not really ever read. And I pray that's not true for us. I pray that's not true for us. And for a lot of people, it's not. But for just as many, it is. Do you know what I mean? And I think it's something for us, man, like we should watch that. We should be aware of that. Flip over with me. This morning, you guys, I read, my habit is, is that I read the chapter of, you know what, this isn't, this is, I read this this morning. So, sorry, it's not on the slide. But Proverbs chapter 30, I read a chapter of Proverbs every day. If you guys don't ever do that, I would highly recommend it because I don't care how many times I've read, the, I've read the Proverbs, they're still just as much of a smack in the face sometimes, God's way of like saying, hey, wake up, right? Well, today as I was reading, this stuck out chapter 30, verse five, it says, every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. You guys, that struck me. It struck me. It was almost like the Lord was saying like, yeah, get in it. It's a shield. It's a protection to you. 
It's a way of getting to know God in such a way that when you come up against things that are making you anxious, when you come up against bills that you didn't expect, when you come up against sickness in your household or in your family, when you have all these things happening, you know that you serve a God that is so much bigger than all those things. And he's going to walk you through it. Right? And man, as a believer, you guys, if you're sick, if you have cancer, if something horrible is happening in your life and you're like, oh God, help me. He could help you. But the biggest help he might be to you is to say, I'm going to walk you through this and you're going to meet me. Praise God. Do you understand what I'm getting at? As a believer, we have nothing to fear. Now, does that keep us from being anxious? Listen, I haven't learned that method yet of not ever being anxious, but I read in God's word that I'm not supposed to be. And so I keep taking that anxiety and saying, here, God, have it. You know? So it's, it's, it's a way, man, like get to know God in his scriptures. And I promise you guys, I've titled the message today, right? I've titled the message today to walk out, to get to know God's scriptures so that we can walk in his power. Know his scriptures so we can walk in his power, Sometimes churches today, they want to walk in his power. They want to claim the victory. They want to claim all these things, right? That's very health and wealth oriented, but yet they only know little snippets of scripture and they take them all out of context. And you're like, okay, man, like get to know God's word for real. And you'll actually see that his power is way bigger than what you're making it, right? We have a lot of anemic Christians that don't know God's word and they're choosing not to get in it. And then they're filled with anxiety and they're filled with all this worry and concern and and it's eating them alive. Why? Because they're not taking hold of the fact that God over and over and over and over again in the Old Testament and the New shows himself faithful again and again and again. You guys, God's power in the Old Testament alone is present through 1,239 prophecies, just in the Old Testament. 1,239 prophecies, all of which have come come true, right? Of those, of that number, at this point, Jesus had already fulfilled 300 of the 456 Old Testament prophecies specifically dealing with the Messiah. If they knew their scripture, if they had really like gleaned from it, they would have looked at Isaiah and been like, whoa! This guy's it. Isaiah alone blows your mind. Now let's bring in Malachi and all these others, right? Like all these other Old Testament prophets that were speaking about Zechariah, all these ones that talk about all these things. And you're like, oh my gosh, you guys, listen, we are a few short weeks from Jesus fulfilling the majority of the rest of these Old Testament prophecies in his death and resurrection. I mean, get your head around this. And we've talked all about this, right? That mathematical equation, that guy that did the statistics that if if one man could, in all of history, could ever fulfill just eight of the prophecies in the Old Testament about the Messiah, remember this, right? That there would be like someone spreading quarters like two feet deep all across the state of Texas and them all being mixed up, but only one of them has an X on it. Someone being sent in blindfolded and finding that one that's the X. It's like one to 10 in the 17th power. It's impossible. That's just eight of them. He had already fulfilled, you guys, over 300 at this point. And by the end of it, he fulfilled 456. It's impossible. You want to know the power of God? Just look at that. Just look at that. You want to know the power of God? Read through Ezekiel and see how long God said to Ezekiel, this is how it's going to look. This is what's going to happen. These are the things that are going to go down. And then watch it happen. 
Read Joshua where he said, like, look, this is how it's going to go down. You're going to march around the city of Jericho, and then the walls are going to fall down. That was a prophecy right from the mouth of God himself, of Jesus, right? Christophany, the angel of the Lord shows up, and you're like, whose side are you on? And he's like, no, <laughs> which to me is awesome because it's Jesus saying, like, I'm for humanity. But in this particular instance, I'm going to take care of your problem, <laughs> right? You guys, there is so much power in the scripture. Let's dig into it. Jesus then definitively answers their question. What was their question? Who is this lady going to be married to in heaven? He's like, none of them. You don't know. You don't understand. There is no marriage in heaven. Listen, can I explain something to you? If you're here today and you're like, man, the Mormon church, I think they're Christians. Listen, the Mormon church teaches that there is marriage in heaven. The Mormon church furthermore goes further and says that whoever you're married there, they get sealed in the Mormon temple, which only Mormons are allowed to see. Why? Because the belief is, is that if the man lives a perfect enough life and does enough good works, that he'll be a God over his own universe. And then you, woman, who is married to that man, is going to be eternally pumping out babies because that's how this world was created by the Godmother and the Godfather, having eternal children constantly, of which Jesus was one and Satan. That is not Christian. That is a cult. But this right here clearly says, Jesus himself, out of the words of his own mouth, says, there are no one's given in marriage in heaven. That's not how it works. Why, you guys? How often do we read in the New Testament that what are we? We're the bride of Christ. We are married to Jesus. Is that weird, guys? A little. <laughs> right? It is. But it's the truth. It's the analogy. We are totally in love and completely attached to Jesus. That's where we're going to be looking. That's who we're going to be focused on. Now, we read in Scripture that there will be familial knowledge of who we were and who, like, I'm going to know that Steve and I were friends, and I'm going to know that I was married to my wife, but we're both going to be like, look at Jesus, right? Like, we're all going to be like, Jesus, right? That's the point, you guys. That's heaven. Amen. You guys, I want to talk about another thing here. Jesus also makes a point here in saying that we are like angels of God in heaven. What does that mean? Some people take this verse and they twist it to mean that we become angels. It's not biblical. We are like angels. If a monkey acts like a human, are they human? No. They're just like a human. They're acting like a human, right? Dogs can sometimes act like a human, can't they? Does that mean a dog is human? Do you guys get it? Look, we got to be careful when we come to his word and really like look at it and be like, what does it mean to be like an angel? Well, let's think about it in the context that we're speaking here. Do angels marry? No, no they don't. Biblically, angels are servants of God, just like we're called to be now. But angels also look at us and they're like, whoa, something crazy happened here. So there's some separation, there's some distance, there's some difference in, the, in who an angel is and who a human is. There's something different. Even in our resurrected bodies, there's something different there, right? The angels in Revelation kept telling John twice, hey, get up, stop it. No, do not worship me. I am a servant of the most high God like you. But yet there was still something different, right? The angels were the ones that were like, look at this. Hey, look at this. The Bible tells us that the angels are looking in and trying to figure it all out. Trying to understand, man, look at the graciousness and, and mercy of God to do this upon sinful, fallen humanity. How amazing is that, right? We need to understand that he's saying, he's not saying that we become Christians 
or that we become angels. And I got to say this, it's a contradiction that has some common fallacies here. It's a contradiction of a lot of the common fallacies that we find even within the church. How often have you guys heard some Christians saying, listen, so-and-so died, my relative died, and now they're my guardian angel. Have you ever heard that? It's not true. I'm not trying to burst anybody's bubble. I get it. I I, I honestly, I kind of get it. The same way I get when a non-Christian says about somebody that clearly didn't know the Lord, it seems, and hopefully, Lord willing, accepted Christ in the very last breath of their life, but their whole life didn't look like that. And they're like, well, they're above looking down on us. How do you know? Because there's one way to know. And man, I I would rather live a life that makes sure that when I die, y'all are like, I knew where he is. Right? Right? I know where he is. You live a life like that, there's a lot better funeral for you. I'm just being real. Then for the platitude of like, oh, well, they're up above looking down on me. No, they're not. Because if they're in heaven, they're looking at Jesus. They don't care what's happening down here. I'm just being honest. And they're definitely not your guardian angel. Right? They're just not. They're human in a new body. Praise the Lord for them. What about this one, you guys? What about this? This, it's a wonderful life narrative. You guys know what I'm talking about? Clarence. You guys remember? Clarence. Listen, I thought that for a long time when I first got saved. I'm like, man, it's got to be like it's a wonderful life. Like when we get to heaven, we got to earn our wings. Why would God say, hey, you can't earn it down here. I'm making a way for you. And then we get to heaven and like, all right, get busy. (laughs) You got work to do. No, it doesn't even make sense. It doesn't line up. Right? So, but people use this, this one verse and they're like, Jesus said we're going to be angels. No, he did not. It doesn't even make sense contextually, does it? Listen, why would God suddenly change direction when we go to heaven and be like, now everything's works-based? It's ridiculous. We don't earn wings. We're not going to have wings, y'all. If anything, we can look at the life of Christ after he was resurrected when he was just like, boink, and popping into things. That's what I think is going to be like. We're going to be like that in our resurrected body. If anything, I think that has more biblical merit than assuming that we're going to pop out wings and be angels. Right? Yeah. I, hey, listen, if we just show up and like, we can like think ourselves into different places, I just want you all to know you'll be in your mansion. You'll be like, ah, relaxing. I'll be like, hello! <laughs> and then before you can even say hi, I'll be like, pop, pop away and pop somewhere else. That'll be my whole life for a couple thousand years because that'll be fun. So now that Jesus kind of made it clear, like, look, man, you guys are mistaken or you're deceived. You don't even get it. You've missed the entire point. That question was actually a really silly question that you've asked. He goes on, ready? Verse 31. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God saying, I am the God of Abraham? the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Do you guys see what he did right there? Jesus just met them where they were. Did you see that? He didn't go in and mention something out of Isaiah. He didn't go in and even mention something out of like any book past the first five. No, he went clear back to the beginning in Genesis. And he's like, hey, listen, I'll meet you where you are. You only want to look at the first five books? Well, let me tell you out of the first five books why you're wrong. 
You look at the resurrection and you say there is no resurrection. And he says here, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead. In other words, they live on. He would not be able to say God, all-knowing God, out of time God, right? Like he sits outside of time. He is, he is in all time, all the time. Think about that the next time you sin. The next time you're tempted to do something that you know is not right. He's there with you. That's a good reminder, isn't it? There's nobody around. Yes, there is. (laughs) Right? It's a good reminder. You guys, Jesus corrects their false notions about the afterlife that they don't even believe in. And then he continues to say, look, look, you don't even get the afterlife. Like, let's go back a step. You wanted to know who is married? Well, let me tell you, you've missed the entire point because you don't even believe what you asked. So let's go back and talk about that. And let me make it clear to you in a way that you'll understand it. Let's look at just the first five books. He makes it clear that there is a real place, you guys, called heaven and a real place called hell. He's been talking about that all this time. The whole three and a half years of his ministry has talked about all these things. He's saying there is a resurrection of the dead. There is a resurrection. Listen, when we die, we will go to one or the other. It's a fact. There's never a time when God ceases to be God overall. Do you guys get your head around that? There's never a moment in history, there will never be a moment in history, even before creation, that God was not himself, was not God. That's why he says, I am. He doesn't say I was. He doesn't say I will be. He says, I am. I am forever. And even that is finite, right? Because forever started when I was born. For me, what about you? But forever is eternal. It's like, it's, it's both ways. It's never been any other way. It cannot be any other way. And I think the more we get our head around that, to be honest, how can we not look and say that God doesn't have a plan for something after? Yeah. Right? Like an infinite, all-knowing, all-powerful God created ants to live out a very small, insignificant life, to die and go back to dirt. I don't think God thinks that's small. And yet that's how small the Sadducees thought. That's how small humanity thinks nowadays. Don't they? Look at an atheist. What do they say? Well, we're on this dirt ball. We spin around it. We die and we're done. That's it. Wow, that's a small way of thinking, isn't it? To me, there's way more hope to think that God has a plan for our lives and that we're here for something. You guys, Jesus is making it clear that God is the God of the living. There's a quote by C.H. Spurgeon. You know, Spurgeon. Gotta love that guy. He says this, the living God is the God of living men. And Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are still alive and identified as the same person's who lived on earth. That's profound. What Jesus is saying here, you guys, is that I will know Dave as Dave, and you will know Dave as Dave, and we will know each other as each other, but yet we'll look at each other and be like, this is how this brain's supposed to work, right? I don't got a belly this, woo! 
Or maybe we all will, and we'll be like, well, all right, this is actually what we're supposed to look like. Man, should have worked harder about going the other way. I don't know. (laughs) Right? We're going to get to heaven and realize that we are perfectly in what God created us to be. Like our new bodies, our new minds, we're going to be able to think the way God intended us to think. But yet we're still going to be like, I am Jeremy, and you are Steve. And and we're going to know who each other is, and we're going to be like, oh, whoa. And then we're going to get to know other people, and we're going to be like, Paul, yo, I want to talk to you right? Do you get it? How cool is that? It's awesome, you guys. God is the God of living men, living women. This means that our last breath here on earth, well, we will find ourselves in one of two places, heaven or hell. We don't end. We continue. And you guys, I got to say, what's the one way? You guys know this, but if you're watching online, if you listen to this later and you're like, well, how do I, how do I know for sure? And how do I make sure that I know where I'm going to go? Well, it's really easy. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. We know that he died, that his death paid for all of our sins, which is, again, the entirety of the Old Testament showed us over and over and over again that there needed to be some type of blood sacrifice. And who better to do that once for all than a perfect human that also, by the way, was God. Why? Because God knew and no one else would ever be able to come and live a perfect life. He did it all for us. And all we have to do is accept that. To accept that death and hell are defeated. And at that, when we die here on earth, we will be alive in heaven. But if we choose to ignore this free gift, you guys know this, we will wake up in hell. Christians, if that doesn't break our hearts for those that we know... I'd say go back to his word and let that seep into you. Come back to the heart of God that's broken for a broken world. Seriously. We keep talking over and over and over again about this idea of going out and telling people about Jesus. And so many people are like, I'm nervous and I'm afraid and I'm this and I'm that. And the reality is, you guys, to be honest, so am I but I love people more and I love my God more who tells me to do something than to let that hold me back. And so as an encouragement to you, if that's a fear of yours, you're not alone. It's never easy to step out of your comfort zone and be like, I'm gonna tell somebody about Jesus and they might punch me in the face. If that's the worst that ever happens to you, you're still doing good. Do you guys remember David Abraham, the guy that came from Pakistan? His friend was telling someone about Jesus when someone walked up behind him and shot him in the back of the head. Guess where he ended up? That next breath, in heaven. He won. And that's the absolute worst that can happen to you. Do you understand? And if that's the absolute worst, we still win. But here in America, the odds of that are extremely slim. Extremely slim. You guys, we have the opportunity to go and to share the gospel of Christ with whoever will hear it. Because the reality is, the situation as it stands until they accept the work that Christ did is that they will wake up on the last breath here, alive in hell, eternally separated from God, in eternal torment. Is that really what you want for your relatives or your friends or anyone? It's not what I want. Do you understand how quickly that minimizes my fear? How quickly that should minimize our pride, our thoughts of of concern about what might happen to us 
Really? Because I win at the end of this. I firmly believe that. Christians, we, we win at the end of this. I want to bring as many people along as possible. I want to get as many people on the winning team as I possibly can. And if I have to take a few bumps and bruises, a few ridicules, a few people that don't like me at all, a few people think that I'm a Bible thumper or whatever in the process, I'm okay with that. I really am. And we should all be okay with that. Amen? Amen. You guys, there's no clearer way to say it. God is the creator of all. And he gets to choose how we come to him. And he made it abundantly clear that we come to him by the death and resurrection of Christ. That's it. That's how we come to him. And listen, if you're here today, I don't care how old or young you are. If you don't know that in your own heart, don't let another day go by. Don't let another day go by without making that decision. Because God knows our hearts and he knows our last breath and we don't. So here's a sad reality, you guys. The truth is, is that exactly what the Sadducees are doing, choosing to walk in their own confidence, choosing to walk in their own learning, choosing to walk around in their own intellect and, and, uh, and all the wealth and all the power that they had. But walking around without Jesus means this, that if those Sadducees went and died, guess where they are? In hell. And the equally sad reality, you guys, is that many people, even some people in the church, have some form of religion. The Sadducees were religious people. They were in charge of the temple. Do you get that? Everyone would look at them and be like, well, they're closer to God than I am because they have, but they were actually further away from God because they chose to follow their own intellect and their own college learning and all the stuff that they had gathered up and, and, and instead of actually choosing to get to know the God in the scripture. Instead of choosing to say, God, speak to me through your living word. No, they came at the first five books in an academic fashion to say, here's the 613 laws we're supposed to follow and we're gonna do a darn good job following them. But, you know, basically to hell with everything else. And I'm using that word intentionally. Guys, there's Christians. There are people that call themselves Christians today that do the same thing. They have some form of religion, but they deny the very power that God intended for them to understand in the scripture, which is this, that there's a free gift that God provided through his son. They choose not to see that. I pray that's not people here in our church. I also pray that if if it is a person here in this church, that they become very uncomfortable. That they realize that, man... These people don't have the education that I have. Man, these people don't have this that I have. Man, these people, man, they don't have the money or the prestige or the power. Man, they just, whatever. But they've got something I don't. I pray that that's the thing because that's the thing I think God uses to woo each other to Christ, isn't it? It's that thing in my friends when I was a teenager that I saw in them that I wanted because I'm like, I I don't know what you got, but I want it. I believe that's the power of God working out in your life. And how do you get the power of God? Spending time in his word. Spending time in prayer. So I want to encourage you guys. If you're here today and you haven't accepted Christ, and I don't care how old you are or how young you are, there's never a limit. Here's the limit of of the salvation of Christ. It's the one unforgivable sin. Do you know how you blaspheme the Holy Spirit? By not accepting the Spirit's wooing on your life. To accept Jesus. You have till your final breath. 
At that point, your decision has, made, has been made. You've made that decision. And an indecision is still a decision. Does that make sense? Yeah. I can sit all day and be like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Introverted people tend to do that a lot, don't they? They don't make a decision, but really they're making a decision. And the answer is no, typically. That's sad. Not always wrong, though. Extroverts sometimes are like, yeah! And then you're like, how am I going to do that? <laughs> right? So I'm not saying either way is 100% correct or wrong. I'm just saying we got to realize that our yes is a yes and a no is a no. And an I don't know typically is a no. And we need to recognize that. You guys, if you're here today, Christian, and you're like, man, you know, I haven't been spending the time I need to in the word. I haven't been doing the work that the Lord asks us to do, which is what? Get to know him. I always tell people like, look, if you would treat your friends or if you're married, your spouse or your family, if you would treat them the way you treat God, would they be happy with you or angry? (laughs) It's a pretty clear sign. And it was something that someone told me one time and it cut me down to the heart because I'm like, dang, I call my mom more than I spend time in the word. right? That was when I was younger. Now, it's a constant reminder to me that I'm like, when I wake up, I talk to my wife. So why wouldn't I take that time when I wake up to talk to my savior? Mm. It's a good reminder. It's a constant thought that should be on our mind. Man, Lord, I want to get to know you more today than I knew you yesterday. Lord, I want to get to a point in our conversation together that when I hear your voice, I know it's you and I just do it. Lord, I even want to get to a point that all you have to do is really look a certain direction, just like our spouses can become that way, right? Like where they don't even have to say anything. They can just look and be like, "Mm." and you know that look. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? My wife has this, the leg touch, the leg touch. What that means is, shut up, you're going too far, (laughs) right? I know what that means. She doesn't have to look at me and be like, shut up, you're going too far. She just touches my leg and I'll be like, okay, I'm done with that conversation, right? Let's move on. Sometimes I don't though. I pay dearly for that. (laughs) because I put my foot in my mouth, not because my wife's a meanie. You guys, if you're here today and that's you, can I tell you how to change directions? You repent. That's what repent means. Turn around. I want to encourage you. If that's it, man, if you're like, I haven't been spending the time with the Lord that I want and therefore I'm walking around feeling anemic and I'm not walking in the power of God or man, I keep praying and asking, but I feel like there's nothing really there right? Like I just talked to somebody the other day, like I'm praying a lot, I'm praying a lot. And someone else was like, are you in the word? And they're like, no. Well, it's like, dude, praying a lot without the word is like you talking to someone. And and then whenever they start to talk, you just keep talking. And whenever they're trying to talk to you again, you just keep talking. And then whenever you're done talking, you're like, okay, bye. You need prayer and you need his word. This is his conversation to us. 99% of the time, this is the way God speaks. Amen? Amen. Not always. He speaks through other people too. Guess how that usually works? They spend time in the word and they are like, I don't know what that means for for me, God, but whatever. And then later in that day or later that week, somebody comes up and they start speaking. They're like, you know what? God gave me a word the other day that I didn't really know. I think that's for you. And they say it. So God's word is speaking to you that way, right? And every once in a blue moon, at least for me, God speaks to me pretty directly. Like I get that sense in my Holy Spirit that the, whole, that the Lord wants to say something to me in my time of prayer, but that is not the norm. The norm is that God speaks to me through his word. 
Isn't that the norm for all of us? So yeah, if you're, if you're like, man, my prayer life's amazing, but it has no word, it's not amazing. It's half conversation. Yeah. A healthy prayer life should have word and prayer together because that is the conversation. Amen? Amen? And so if that's you here today and you're like, man, I need more of the Lord, well, repent. Repent of that. Ask God to forgive you and turn around and start reading it. Spend time in his word. Get to know God more. Don't be like the Sadducees, relying on your knowledge or relying on what you think you have. Instead, say, God, I need you more today than I needed you yesterday. And tomorrow's going to be even worse. I need you even more that day than I needed you today. And God, that's going to continue so that by the time I die, I feel like I know you well, but my desire and my need for you has grown exponentially to the point that I could never even breathe without you. That's the heart that I have. That's where I want to get with him. Amen. Don't you? Let's pray. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Great Bay Calvary Church in Dover, New Hampshire. We're so glad you found us. If you want to learn more about our services or need prayer for something going on in your life, come connect with us at greatbaycalvary.com.